And so I lied to all my elf friends. I am Tani Tanuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth elf. Welcome to What Would Arwen Do? Back again for the winter quarter here at UC Irvine, 4 to 5 p.m. And excited to be here. It's a beautiful day in the phallus here in Southern California. I know the rest of the country is under a bit of frostbite, um, but if it's any consolation, it wasn't quite as warm and sunny here today. It's only 64. (laughs) At least it was 64 on my patio. But I think that uh, some parts of the country would be happy if it would reach 64 in the middle of the night, or, or even in the middle of the day, sorry, in the middle of the day. So anyway, our thoughts and prayers go out for those who are wrestling with Mother Nature grateful as we are to her. Sometimes she can uh, be quite a challenge for us. If you are looking for programs, we are starting a new quarter of programming here at KUCI, and so you may find that if you tune in at a certain time and the program that you were looking for is not there, please check out our program schedule at www.kuci.org for changes and new people coming in. Some people have left. Some people have simply moved around because we have a lot of DJs here who are students here at UC Irvine. And so, of course, with each quarter, there are schedule changes both here and for them. So please take a look around our website and uh, check out some of our new programs. We do have some new public affairs programs. One I'm very excited about will be coming up this Friday. If you have been um, hanging out with me for a while now, you know that last quarter I interviewed, I had an intern on because we do have training for DJs and talk show hosts here at KUCI. And Faisal Shabani was on, and he promised, sort of promised, that um, if he got a public affairs show, that he would come back with some dwarf friends and play the Misty Mountains Cold on his saxophone. So as it turns out, he is going to be on the air. Uh, Sammy Kabara, Faisal, and Nora Kabara will be on Friday afternoons from 5 to 5.30 with a little show called Remindium. So I hope you'll tune in for that and uh, also check out our other public affairs programming. Most of our shows do go up on podcast. So if you missed a show, you can go to our home site, KUCI.org, go to archives, scroll down to podcasts, and look for the show of your choice. The music you heard when we first started 
Let's play a little bit more of that. The Academy Award-winning music of Howard Shore. That was music from The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Has been my theme song now for eight years. Can you believe it? Here at KUCI. Another part of my little adventure of my life as an elf. If you are tuning in for the very first time, I would like to say welcome, my Govanen and Sui Lide. To all my elf friends, and uh, perhaps some I haven't even met yet, you are listening to KUCI in Irvine Broadcasting from the, co- the campus of UC Irvine. We are Orange County's alternative radio station and quite possibly the best radio station in the history of Middle Earth. You can contact me, and I would love to hear from you, by email at askanelf at yahoo.com, A-S-K-A-N-E-L-F at yahoo.com. And uh, as I mentioned, you can find podcasts and information about this show and our public affairs programs at KUCITalk.org or our homepage, KUCI.org. You can also catch us through iTunes, and in case you can't catch us on the airwaves, You can always catch us online. We stream on the internet 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And you can listen right through our website or through iTunes. In case you are tuning in for the very first time, you may be wondering what this show is all about. Well, this is where I ask if a Middle Earth elf lived today in Southern California, what might her life look like? How would she as a modern elf, celebrate and support the arts, music, her community, and the preservation of Earth, its beauty, resources, and creatures. Some people like to ask, what would Jesus do? And that is a very good question. But on this program, I like to ask, what would Arwen do? Or what would an elf do in this situation? And in case you're wondering who Arwen was in J.R.R. Tolkien's Mythology of Middle-Earth, Arwen was an elf princess the daughter of Elrond, a prince among elves, and lord of Rivendell, a magical place of healing, lore, and wisdom, perhaps not unlike the community here at UC Irvine. I believe that Arwen embodied the archetype of a true princess of the light, a beloved daughter of the universe, as are all the women of this fair celestial home called Earth or an elvish Arda. So I believe that Arwen understood the principle of noblesse oblige, that with great privilege comes responsibility. And I feel a sense of this responsibility living here in one of the most affluent and beautiful temperate places on the planet in America, where we have so much freedom to worship and to um, decide our futures and to make our dreams come true. And so I like to say, okay, so what can I do? (laughs) What can I do for the greater good? And um, so very often I try to have people on the show that uh, will inspire you to good works and to caring about each other and yourself. And sometimes I just talk to you about things that um, are on my heart. So today we have kind of, we do have a mixture. I don't have an interview today. However, <clears throat> excuse me, I do have some things to share with you. Um, in the past, you know, at times I do a an elvish adventure report. Last week I mentioned that I was going to see The Hobbit 
with my friend the archeress Ro, the archeress, and her hubby, the keeper of the fur children. And we did go to see The Hobbit at IMAX. It was amazing. I, yes, I had seen it, and I'd seen it in a, on a very large screen and in 3D. But, of course, there's not, nothing quite like the IMAX, especially at Irvine Spectrum. And so it was IMAX, 3D, high definition, 48 frames per second as compared with normally 24. And it was just amazing. If you get a chance to see it in that format, I would invite you to do that. Just seeing the last part of the movie, the um, where Bilbo goes into, you know, to find the Arkenstone and wakes up Smaug, and you see all this gold that just glitters and runs in rivers, jewels, and the immensity of this underground kingdom of Erebor. I know when I saw The Lord of the Rings and first saw on the screen the Mines of Moria, where Gandalf has the fellowship with him and he lights the little, you know, his staff and it just illumines these gigantic holes. And I remember thinking, I never could have conceived of that just in my own imagination. To be able to see it on the screen like that was amazing. Well, this was along those same lines, maybe perhaps even more, and the, and the battle at Helm's Deep, but right up there with those, perhaps even a little more because Smaug, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, is amazing, terrifying, um, the halls of Erebor, the the jewels and golds, and of course, gold, and of course, you know, we have the Hobbit uh, Bilbo and the dwarves, and interesting twists going on to the story. So that was a wonderful New Year's Day adventure. And I had another adventure today, which I'm only going to touch on a little bit before we are uh, going to have a little music and get into some of the topics of today's show. But, you know, as an elf, um, I'm concerned about sustainability. Uh, sustainability, some people go, well, what? what does that actually mean? Well, sustainability is the sense of can something, can the practice of something be sustained and still have a positive impact? So, like, for instance, the amount of waste that we uh, produce and we have trash pickup every week, sometimes every day from businesses, and this stuff all has to go somewhere and be put somewhere every single day. And how long can we actually do that? And where is it going to go? And what effect will it have on the places that is sent to? And um, the cutting down of the rainforest. What impact does this have in the long term? Is it a sustainable practice to just keep clearing more and more and more land? So these are some of the questions about uh, sustainability. And I was very excited. I'm going to be sharing a couple of things with you. But to f discover that right here at UC Irvine, they have a in their extension program, they have a new program that has just been added. I'm not sure if it starts this quarter, but definitely in the spring, the summer, and it's called Sustainable Solutions and Practices Certificate Program. And it sounds pretty amazing. 
If you'd like more information, you can uh, find out about this on the website, the uh, UCI Extension website, or call Daniel Powers, the program representative. His number is 949-824-5592. I did give him a call today before the show to see if it might be possible that he would come on for an interview. So when I hear back from him, I'll let you know about that. Otherwise, I'll just share a little bit more. But it has uh, five required courses, one called Macro Sustainability Global Awareness, Micro Sustainability Local Impact, Corporate Social Responsibility, Framework for Sustainable Leadership, and Sustainable Reporting. So it's just, uh, I'm very excited about this. I am um, setting an intention to begin this, if not in the spring quarter, definitely in the fall. But we'll see. Perhaps I shall be able to start it in the spring. And uh, it's 15.5 units to earn the Sustainable Solutions and Practices, Practices Certificate. And if you're wondering, well, who should attend? It's... Individuals seeking to enter the sustainability field, staff members of grassroots organizations, public sector leaders and policymakers, sustainable technology analysts, entrepreneurial professionals, sustainability practitioners, that might be you and I who just recycle and reuse, small business owners, process managers, project managers, and change leaders. So, again, there's uh, a brochure that you can even download, at, uh, and there's a course schedule at extension.uci.edu forward slash SSU, no, I'm sorry, forward slash S-U-S-S-P. So, but if you just go on, you'll see there uh, right under the extension program said it's listed as a new program. And so I'm hoping, hoping upon hope, to have uh, Daniel Powers on within uh, the next few weeks, perhaps even, to for an interview to talk to you more about that program and whether or not you might be interested in taking it. And maybe we can all, some of us can all do it together. Wouldn't that be a fun Elvish adventure? So with that, we're going to get into the program first. You know, we elves love music. And it was so wonderful getting to see The Hobbit again last week. I didn't realize that I don't actually have the new Hobbit soundtrack, and now it's even out in extended, the extended version, so I will need to get that. In the meantime, I'm thoroughly enjoying The Hobbit, um, An Unexpected Journey soundtrack. And I also found out from my friends, I just, sometimes I just don't, you know, I'm so busy walking in starlight and communing with the trees and working and, you know, things of that nature that um, I don't always find out about some of the new new things that have come out. And my friends had asked me if I'd seen the extended version of the first Hobbit movie. Well, I didn't even know that there was an extended version of the new Hobbit movie. And it turns out that there are more scenes with the elves and in Rivendell. Um, so I caught a few of those on YouTube, but uh, I'm going to be excited to kind of catch up on some of that. But in the meantime, we're going to hear a little music from the Hobbit soundtrack, The Unexpected Journey. And this is Underhill. I love this track because it has so many of the musical motifs associated with 
the Middle Earth that Peter Jackson has brought to us and that Howard Shore has created such beautiful music for. So this is from the soundtrack of The Hobbit, The An Unexpected Journey, and this is Underhill KUCI in Irvine. from The Hobbit, the An Unexpected Journey, and of course that track ends with the tune of the Misty Mountains Cold that we hear sung by Richard Armitage and the dwarves in the movie. I am Tani Tenuviel. This is What Would Arwen Do on Tuesdays, 4 to 5 p.m., where we talk about things that concern us, concern the elves and all of us. I talked a little bit about um, a new program on sustainable solutions that's being offered through the extension program here at UCI. And a lot of times I think we're just not aware of some of the things going on. And sometimes I read these articles and I think, what does that mean? That there is this thing and is anybody... You know, does anybody do anything about it? So there was an interesting article in the Los Angeles Times on Saturday, December 28th. And in it was called A Trash-Based Ecosystem. Scientists call it the pla- plastosphere, and it's got them worried. Well, just the word plastosphere makes me a little worried myself. Um, of course, we... Some of us are aware of the giant trash uh, island that is now out in the ocean between um, Hawaii and the United States. But this is something different. It's this a plastosphere. So I'm going to read to you from the article. I hope I'm not violating any copyright <laughs> rules in doing this. This is by Louis Sahagan from the Los Angeles Times. And it says here, off the coast of San Diego... This is where this is. Elizabeth Lopez maneuvered a massive steel claw over the side of a 134-foot sailboat and guided its descent through swaying kelp and schools of fish 10 miles off the coast of San Diego. She was hoping to catch pieces of a mysterious marine ecosystem that scientists are calling the plastosphere. It starts with particles of degraded plastic no bigger than grains of salt. Okay, so picture that. Grains of salt. Bacteria take up residence on those tiny pieces of trash. Then, single-celled animals feed on the bacteria, and larger predators feed on them. So now we have these plastic pieces, no bigger than salt, that bacteria are attaching themselves to, And then now the small single-celled animals are feeding on the bacteria and larger predators feed on them. So this plastic is getting into even things as small as uh, plankton. Okay, let's go on. We've We've created a new man-made ecosystem of plastic debris. 
said Lopez, a graduate student at the University of San Diego during the recent expedition. Well, that's really sad. We've created a new man-made ecosystem of plastic trash. Okay, back to the article. The plastosphere was six decades in the making, so 60 years. It's a product of the discarded plastic, flip-flops, margarine tubs, toys, toothbrushes that get swept from urban sewer systems and river channels into the sea. When that debris washes into the ocean, it breaks down into bits that are colonized by microscopic organisms that scientists are just beginning to understand. Researchers suspect that some of the denizens may be pathogens hitching long-distance rides on floating junk. So, this is outside of San Diego. So, if you are listening in from someplace else in the world... Um, it's not just going to be affecting us here in Southern California. And I may add, um, it talks about here, it's a product of the discarded plastic flip-flops, toys, etc. that get swept from urban sewer systems. I don't know if you're aware of this, but if you live here in Southern California, uh, in right here in the Orange County, Irvine area, Santa Ana, Costa Mesa, Newport Beach, Irvine All the stuff that goes into the drain goes into that river, Santa Ana River, which dumps into the back bay, which goes out to the ocean. So whenever you're throwing your trash, your papers, your cigarette butts, your, um, you know, bottles, your plastic bottles, if that's being swept away into the sewage systems, it's going into the back bay and then into the ocean right out here where people like to swim and surf. Okay, so let's get back here. Um, scientists also fear creatures in, this plast- in the plastosphere break down chunks of polyethylene and polypropylene so completely that dangerous chemicals percolate into the environment. Quote, this is an issue of great concern, said Tracy Mincer, a marine geochemist at the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute in Massachusetts. Quote, microbes may be greatly accelerating the weathering of plastic debris into finer bits. If so, we aren't sure how zooplankton and other small creatures are responding to that or whether harmful additives, pigments, plasticizers, flame retardants, and other toxic compounds are leaching into the water. Okay, get this. About 245 million tons of plastic is produced annually around the world, according to industry estimates. That represents 70 pounds of plastic annually for each of the 7.1 billion people on the planet, scientists say. 70 pounds. And some people probably aren't using that, that live in, out in the uh, shrubs of Africa or something. So the waste, back to the article, the waste gathers in vast oval-shaped ocean, quote, garbage patches formed by converging currents and winds. Once trapped in these cyclonic dead zones, plastic particles may persist for centuries. The physiological effects of visible plastic debris on the fish, birds, turtles, and marine animals in that, in, that ingest it are well documented. Quote, these are the um, 
physiological effects. Clogged intestines, suffocation, loss of vital nutrients, and starvation. The effects of the minuscule minuscule pieces that make up the plastosphere are only beginning to be understood. So it's been 60 years in the making. We've now discovered that this is pretty bad stuff, and little, tiny, single-celled animals are eating the bacteria that's writing on this plastic that we created and getting into the creatures that eat them and the creatures that eat them. And then guess who also eats the fish that eat them? Yeah, some of us. Not yours yours truly, but some of us. (laughs) But I'm concerned for everyone. Okay, so... Only beginning to be understood. Edward Carpenter, a professor of microbial ecology at San Francisco State University, first reported that microbes could attach themselves to plastic particles adrift at sea in 1972. 1972, they discovered that these microbes could attach themselves to plastic particles. He observed that these particles enabled the growth of algae and probably bacteria, and speculated that hazardous chemicals showing up in ocean animals may have leached out of bits of plastic. Carpenter's discovery went largely unnoticed for decades. Imagine that. His, Let me read that again. Carpenter's discovery went largely unnoticed for decades. But now, the scientific effort to understand how the plastosphere influences the ocean environment has become a vibrant and growing field of study. From Woods Hole to the University of Hawaii, scientists are collecting seawater and marine life so they can analyze the types, sizes, and chemical compositions of the plastic fragments they contain. Their findings are shedding new light on the ramifications of humanity's addiction to plastic. Interesting. Addiction to plastic. We're, quote, we're changing the basic rhythms of life in the world's oceans, and we need to understand the consequences of that. Let me read that again. We're changing the basic rhythms of life in the world's oceans, and we need to understand the consequences of that, said marine biologist Miriam Goldstein, who earned her doctorate at the UC San Diego Scripps Institution of Oceanography by studying plastic debris in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch between Hawaii and California. Yes, so this is is a separate issue to be concerned about from the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. That's just a big floating island of plastic that's out there growing, growing, growing. And I would imagine uh, decomposing and breaking off in some of these salt-sized plastic particles. Goes on to say, in October, Goldstein and oceanographer Deb Goodwin of the Sea Education Association in Woods Hole reported that one-third of the gooseneck barnacles they collected from the garbage patch had plastic particles in their guts. So barnacles, you know, little guys that stick onto things, one-third that they collected had plastic in their digestive system. The typical fragment measured 1.4 milliliters across, not much bigger than a piece of glitter, according to the report in the journal. Pure J. Some of the barnacles had bits of plastic in their fecal pellets, too. That finding led Goldstein to speculate that some of the 250 barnacles that were plastic-free 
when they were captured by researchers, had probably eaten plastic at some point in their lives, but cleared it from their systems. Okay, listen to this. Since crabs prey on barnacles, the plastic the barnacles eat may be spreading through the food web, Goldstein and Goodwin reported. The food web, that's that thing that we participate in, you know, by eating. (laughs) Okay, fish that ingest plastic debris tend to accumulate hazardous substances in their bodies and suffer from liver toxicity, according to a study published in the journal... In the journal Scientific Reports, not only was the plastic itself dangerous, so too were the toxic chemicals the plastic had absorbed. The plastosphere isn't limited to oceans. In 2012, a team of researchers discovered microplastic pollution in the Great Lakes, including high volumes of polyethylene and polypropylene, quote, microbeads used in facial cleansers. Other scientists, including Mincer of the Woods Hole Institution and microbiologist, microbial ecologist Eric Zettler of the Sea Education Association, spent three years coming up with the first comprehensive description of microbial communities that colonize plastic marine debris. The researchers used fine-scale nets to skim plastic particles from more than 100 locations in the Atlantic Ocean, from the Massachusetts to the Caribbean Sea, Caribbean Sea, using scanning electron microscopes and gene sequencing techniques, they identified more than 1,000 different types of bacteria and algae attached to seaborne plastic. Okay, let me repeat that. Using scanning electron microscopes and gene sequencing techniques, they identified more than 1,000 different types of bacteria and algae attached to seaborne plastic, according to their report in June in the journal Environmental Science and Technology. Okay, here's of particular concern with a sample of polypropylene not much larger than the head of a pin. Its surface was dominated by members of the genus Vibrio, which includes the bacteria that cause cholera and other gastrointestinal gastrointestinal ailments. These potential pathogens could travel long distances by attaching themselves to plastic debris that persists in the ocean much longer than biodegradable flotsam like leathers, like feathers and wood. The team is now comparing microbial communities on plastic debris collected in the North Pacific and North Atlantic Oceans, trying to understand the bacteria that feed on their waste products and predators that feed on all of them. Quote, each of these plastic bits is a circle of life. One microbe's waste is another microbe's dinner. We want to know more about how some microbes may be hanging out on plastic trash, just waiting to be eaten by fish so they can get into that environment. So, like little parasites. Meanwhile, in San Diego, Lopez and her colleagues are examining the samples they collected under powerful microscopes and removing tiny bits of plastic for classification and chemical analysis. Their findings will be shared with the Southern California Coastal Water Research Project, a public research institute that monitors urban pollution. Quote, these microplastic worlds right under our noses are the next ocean frontier, said Drew Talley, a marine scientist at the University of San Diego. It would be a crime not to investigate the damage they might be doing to the oceans and to humans. And 
I would add, to the planet in general. So that from an article in Los Angeles Times, a trash-based ecosystem scientists call it the plastosphere, and it's got them worried by Louis Sahagan. If you'd like to contact the the author, it's lewis.sahagan, S-A-H-A-G-U-N at latimes.com. And um, so, yeah, that kind of ties back to what I was talking about earlier about sustainable practices. And six decades in the making, this um, uh, plastosphere, and I think it's been even longer that for the great American garbage patch that's out there in the Pacific Ocean between Hawaii and California. And But it's that many decades that we've just been you know, obsessed with plastic, having bottles, having plastic, you know, to wrap around things. At home, I don't even use saran wrap anymore. And it was one of those things that I thought, how am I going to live without saran wrap if I cut an apple? I've discovered that little glass jars, I can, if I cut a lemon in half, I put the other half in a little glass jar with a lid and it stays perfectly well. I don't have to have plastic. I don't even have plastic wrap in my house. Now I will confess that we um, get the paper and we save those plastic wrappers. And every once in a while, if I go to the market, I I do, unfortunately, sometimes get those little plastic bags um, to put my produce in, trying to be better about that and bring my own along. But um, we use them when we dog sit for (laughs) our friends. So I probably should just look into getting those little ones that those little uh, dog uh, pick up bags that are biodegradable. I think the plastic bags that we have are biodegradable, but the important thing to remember is, you know, that we can make a difference. And sometimes it's just a matter of taking some steps. Like right now, uh, I live in Newport Beach. We, the city is offering uh, all of the residents there recycling bins. And I think that's wonderful because, you know, I have to drive to the recycling center, you know, about once a month or something uh, to take some things over there. And uh, not that that's a bad thing, but um, they've always said, you know, well, they go through the trash and they, you know, and they do recycle, but they go through the trash that's been compacted. And so even in the information brochure about these um, new trash bins and recycling bins, it says that more uh, more things will be able to be recycled because they'll be already separated from the yucky trash. And I actually had a friend who made the comment that he wasn't sure if he wanted to do this because he had hardly any room in his garage and he didn't know if he had room for the bins. And I thought, I said, but isn't the bigger picture, the bigger good worth trying to move some things around in the garage to accommodate a recycling bin. And he said, yes, you're right. So, you know, think about that. Don't please, if your garage is packed full, don't just look at it like, and take the attitude, well, I don't really have room for another trash bin, you know, um, please consider moving something or put it in your patio or, or do put it in your bedroom. I don't know, but please consider Um, getting a recycling bin if you're here in Newport Beach. So uh, let's have a little more music. I want to keep things, you know, on the up. Yes, this um, plastosphere is 
thing is something to be concerned about. But there are things that we can do. We can become more educated. One of the main ways that you can make changes in your life is by being aware, aware of what you do and do what you do with intention rather than just doing it because that's what you've always done. Um, and, uh, Speaking of intentions, of course, you know, many of us have started some New Year's resolutions. I used, I like to, instead of having a New Year's, resol, New Year's resolutions, I like to have New Year's intentions. And uh, mine this year was to move forward with the next phase of my lifestyle changes. And although I've been a vegetarian for quite some time, and recently even recommitted myself to complete vegetarianism, I now have committed myself to a completely plant-based diet because I can no longer, even cheese, which I love, but I cannot support commercial dairy farming and the impact it has on the planet, uh, the animals, and the people that live around those areas, uh, what it's doing to our atmosphere and to the land. So no more cheese for the elf. And um, so far, it's been pretty good. Been off for a week. And uh, I didn't really do milk or anything. But, you know, I do like cheese. But I like and I love the animals more. And sometimes we just got to do hard things. And I love the book by Glennon Doyle Milton because she says we are capable of doing hard things. Yeah. And her book's called Carry On Warrior. Love it. It's really been a joy for me to read right now. I have my little book here, The Book of Intentions, The First Step in Creating a More Fulfilling Life by Diane Martin. And I'm going to read um, a little bit of today. I just, uh, I was looking through this and this is just a magnificent little book, but I'm going to read a few intentions. And maybe these are things that can resonate with your heart. And then we'll hear a little music. This is KUCI in Irvine. And... So here, from the Book of Intentions, The First Step to Creating a More Fulfilling Life. And this is from the chapter, chapter on social grace. It says, I intend to recognize the inherent beauty of each person I meet, to appreciate how each of us is gifted with a uniquely appealing image of size, shape, age, color, and gender. I intend to accept that we are all ideas of God, expressions of life, love, joy, beauty, truth, and intelligence. And as such, God does not identify us by race, religion, gender, age, class, or background. To understand that as reflections of God, we cannot be intended to treat each other with anything but respect, love, and compassion. To know that each of us exists to express and enjoy love. I intend to nurture excellence in activities that are guided by good, to be proud of and inspired by those who successfully exhibit their highest sense of self, to encourage others to be pleased with their accomplishments and welcome them to share their expertise, to rejoice in the prosperity of others, to let others shine. I intend to reconsider my heroes, to celebrate those who devote their lives in service to others for the purpose of good, to value those who work with dedication, creativity, and integrity, to learn from those who maintain inner peace, 
regardless of circumstance. So a few very lovely intentions. This book is full of some wonderful things that um, are great for times of meditation and reflection. And uh, I believe it's a Barnes & Noble special book. Barnes & Noble books, yes. Uh, the Book of Intentions, Diane Martin, came out, I think, in 2009. I got it I got it a couple of years ago. No, sorry, 2002. So, yeah, it's been around a while. Um, but worth the look for it. So let's hear a little song from State of Grace 2 about turning to peace. This is KUCI in Irvine. This is QCI in Irvine. That was State of Grace 2 with Turning to Peace. And I am Tani Tenuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth Elf. This is just about going to wrap it up for this week's What Would Arwen Do? We should have a show up on podcast. Um, I'll have to check and see if I can do today's up on podcast because of reading that article. It may be copyrighted material, so I may not be able to put it up there on podcast, but I will find out. And uh, there are podcasts up of the shows. I hope you'll stay tuned. The Blue and Gold Report normally would be on at 5 o'clock, but uh, they're still on a little vacation. Be coming back in a couple of weeks with news about UCI athletics. In the meantime, I will be playing an interview for you um, that I'm very excited about so you can hear some of the other um, offerings from some of the other... um, public affairs shows and this is from real people of the orange county and we're going to be you're going to be hearing a an interview with evan um evan marks of the ecology center and i actually had him on my show a few years ago evan is amazing and he's going to be sharing his personal story and kimberly martin is going to be interviewing him and we're good so that's going to be coming up during the 5 o'clock hour. And I'm very excited because we have a Cub Scout, Tiger Scout uh, troop coming in for a tour of the station. So want to say uh, welcome to them. And, um, yeah, and then I will be back next week. A reminder that the views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the Elf host and do not necessarily respect, uh, reflect the views and opinions of UCI, KUCI, or the UC Board of Regents. So I'm going to leave with a little Hobbit music. First, I want to read a beautiful prayer from Earth Prayers from Around the World. This is my favorite, one of my favorite prayers, and it's from um, Albert Schweitzer. He says, Hear our humble prayer, O God, for our friends, the animals, especially for animals who are suffering, for any that are hunted or lost or deserted or frightened or hungry, for all that must be put to death. 
We entreat for them all thy mercy and pity, and for those who deal with them we ask a heart of compassion and gentle hands and kindly words. Make us ourselves to be true friends to animals and so to share the blessings of the merciful. And as we heard earlier about the plastosphere and that the, the even the plankton fish are eating these pieces of plastic that have bacteria on them and then other fish are eating them and then people also eat fish. There's a wonderful little brochure you can actually get from our friends at PETA that says, Take a Closer Look at Fish. Um, one of the world's foremost marine biologists, Dr. Sylvia Earle, says, I wouldn't eat a grouper any more than I'd eat a cocker spaniel. Cocker spaniel. They're so good-natured, so curious. You know, fish are sensitive. They have personalities. They hurt when they're wounded. And so maybe um, we can start a new tradition of not eating the fish. Not to mention um, the terrible uh, suffering that fish endure with commercial fishing. Just a little thing. It says, dragged from the ocean depths, fish undergo excruciating decompression. I won't read the graphic part, but um, it's pretty graphic. And factory farm fish are subjected to extreme crowding and filthy conditions, which spread infections and parasites. So maybe um, with the plastosphere, that might be a little an unfortunate way, but maybe a, a little bit to nudge you more toward a non-fish eating <laughs> diet, non-animal eating diet. I am Tony Tanuvio. Please have a wonderful week. Remember to love your friends, to don't lose your sense of humor. Get out, have some fun, walk in starlight, get your feet in the ocean if you're anywhere nearby. Um, hug someone, tell somebody you love them. Let someone tell the, you that they love you and uh, hug a lot. So I'm going to leave you with a little bit of music, and then um, we'll be hearing Kimberly Martin. We'll be back in just a few moments. And here is a friend of mine, Colette Baran, Colette Aubrey, singing Into the West, KUCI in Irvine. Come to Johnny's life. 